Part two of Herein is Love by Rule Howe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Herein is Love by Rule L. Howe. Part two Moralism intellectualism humanism dealing with conflicts moralism the next member of the group who spoke up was mrs straight and she voiced for herself and for millions of other church people the moralistic understanding of the faith moralism is perhaps the most widespread of all the concepts that we are now discussing moralism is usually identified as belief in good behavior as a source of life a group of church people many of them leaders of their respective parishes were asked to describe the christian it would be no exaggeration to say that their descriptions of a christian made it difficult to distinguish him from a jew because, according to their statements, a Christian is one who achieves his status, as such, by obeying the commandments of God. He must live a good life by keeping the law. The imitation of Jesus is the method, illuminated by a study of his teachings, especially the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. And, as Mrs. Strait indicated, they agreed that a Christian should set a good example for other people. When asked how they felt about this concept of the Christian life, many of them admitted that they were not too enthusiastic about it because it was hard to achieve. They admitted that they failed often and miserably. One man put it rather well when he said, and he felt that trying to be a Christian was like whistling in the dark. They all admitted that their concept was widespread among their fellow church members, and that it had little appeal. When they were asked why such an unappealing concept of a Christian was so prevalent, they replied that it was due to people's feeling that they ought to be better than they are. Their discussion revealed further that they were unable to accept themselves as human beings and that they felt they had to justify themselves by doing good works and by moral living that is the reason why mrs Strait holds to the moralistic concept of the christian life separated from her husband and feared by her children she feels acutely vulnerable and guilty. As a defense, she has built for herself a fortress made up of precepts, ideals, and rules, all based on a foundation of righteousness, and this has made her a formidable and rigid person. Like all self-righteous people, she tirelessly dispenses obvious truths and keeps her own life and that of others narrowly proscribed. Mrs. Strait is in no way an exception. The lives of moralistic people are not beautiful to behold. They are apt to be conventional, 
legalistic and maintainers of the status quo because they have no sense of deliverance themselves they are apt to be ungracious in relation to others because they live by the law they do not show the fruit of the spirit namely the love joy peace and long-suffering which should mark the followers of christ they reveal how impossible it is for a human being to be a christian by himself he needs the spirit of christ to live in him and to remake him as we shall see later there is available to us the spirit of christ who accomplishes in us the righteousness of christ which is of the spirit and not of the law moralism also is a sign of our fear and defensiveness we reduce life to the dimensions of a moral code because we are afraid to trust the spirit and to risk the dangers of love and its communication as one person said let's be proper so we won't need to pray for there is no knowing what god might ask us to do if we really listen to him in other words moralism is a way of playing it safe intellectualism a fourth concept sometimes held by church members about the faith was exhibited by mr knowles its name is intellectualism this intellectualism sometimes called gnosticism claims that knowledge is the source of life and that the possession of knowledge delivers us from the power of evil this is an ancient heresy that lives on in every generation the desire to know and the achievement of skill in the use of knowledge are indeed commendable but to know is not justifiable as an end in itself knowledge about god and man about the bible and the christian faith about the church and its history is good and necessary for informed christian living but it can in no way substitute for our dependence upon christ and the work of his spirit in us we need to know about christian faith but it must not replace the need to love and to be loved knowledge about god must not become more important than our knowing god when religious and theological knowledge becomes an end in itself the church is apt to become coldly intellectual and sophisticated i am reminded of a group of laymen who became avid students of christian theology and who became so prideful in their achievement that they exhibited in their relations with one another as well as with their other associates a spirit of pride arrogance and competitiveness they had acquired the knowledge of christianity but they had lost the spirit of the christ the work of christians is not so much to hold and transmit a knowledge of the faith as it is to be the personal representatives and instruments of christ in the world to be sure 
Christ's representatives should know what they are talking about and intellectually be able to enter into dialogue with all men, that their knowing should incarnate them, both as persons and in their capacity to represent God and his Christ to men. This brings us also to a controversy that exists in the field of Christian education. Many people feel that the purpose of the church school is to transmit the content of the Christian faith. Christian education, however, must be personal. It must take place in a personal encounter, and only secondarily is it transmissive. It is true, however, that Christian education is responsible for the continued recital of God's saving acts and for the transmission of the subject matter of the historical faith and life of the Christian community. The content of our faith was born of God's action and man's response, a divine human encounter. It is neither possible nor correct to reduce this to subject matter and substitute the transmission of subject matter for the encounter with the assumption that it will accomplish the same purpose. It cannot, it never has, and it never will. Actually, the relations of transmission and encounter are complementary. Both are needed. The church, as the tradition-bearing community, contains both poles and should not subordinate one to the other. When the content of the tradition is lost, the meaning of the encounter is lost, and in the end, even the encounter itself. Then tradition becomes idolatrous and sterile. Both are necessary to the community of faith, and both are meaningless even dangerous if separated christian teaching is concerned with both mr knowles however is not happy about the required complementary relation between the content of the christian faith and his life as mrs Strait uses moralism for defense so mr knowles uses his emphasis on the content of the bible as a way of protecting himself from the deeper and more personal challenges of life. He is estranged from his family, and he is regarded as austere and unfriendly by his employees and many of his business associates. Personal relations frightened him, but by mastery of knowledge he gains superiority and power over others. Intellectualism and Gnosticism are not confined to the church. We see their influence in every walk of life. Many people talk much about the importance of love in human relationships, but they do not love. They use their knowledge about love as an evasion of their responsibility to express love. Man cannot be saved by what he knows but only by the way he lives with his brother. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 1 John 4.20 This is the stern but clear word of the scriptures.
but we can be so frightened by the risks of expressing love that we may turn away from those who need our love and have a right to expect it from us how much easier and safer it is to know about god and his love and to confine this meaning to the sanctuary and the study group intellectualism then is another way in which we try to play it safe humanism professor manby speaks for humanism another point of view in the church he with others says give man time and he will work out his own salvation humanists like dr manby often react against the religiosity of the church with the complaint that the search for truth is cluttered with obsolete myths and meaningless observances on the other hand the humanists while splendid in their devotion to truth have only their opinion of what is good and true to guide them because they acknowledge no life beyond this one they become the servants of a closed system in which injustice frustrates the justice for which they plead and work the plight of the humanists is pathetic since they accept no savior they can draw only on their own human resources and are put in the position of trying to lift themselves by their own power they can only whistle in the dark while man apart from god cannot save himself god's love for the world works in the world and he has a part for man to take in the relation between god and man there is need for both the greatness of god and the greatness of man dealing with conflicts and so these five frightened friends familiar types to us all reveal to us how easy it is to get lost in our preoccupations and to distort or diminish the truth we would serve mr gates the minister has his anxieties too he represents the ordained ministry of the church which is caught between the demands of the theory of christianity and the demands of the world between the demands of the pulpit and the demands of the pew between the church as an institution and the church as a saving power in the world between the surges of the spirit and the sucking drag of tradition and he himself is also trapped by the demands of his image of himself as a minister and the demands of his people's image of him by the idealism of his training for the christian ministry and the realism of the demands on his ministry in the church and in the world he cannot resolve these conflicts by himself nor should he try these are not his conflicts they are the conflicts of the church's ministry and he and the people need to deal with them together neither he nor they will be able to resolve the conflicts because they are the inevitable tensions between the spirit and the law and between life and form but mr gates 
and all other ministers together with the rest of the people of god by reason of the christian faith must live through these conflicts and deal with them creatively both mr gates and his people need to accept conflicts as an inevitable part of life especially of a life that is lived in response to a call or a loyalty no growth or learning takes place at any depth without such conflict conflict between the known and the unknown between our need for security and our need for maturity this is the nature of life as for the gospel let us not forget that its universally accepted symbol is the cross a symbol of the conflict between love and hate between life and death as christians our only realistic expectation is that because of our christian belief and practice our conflicts will increase and intensify rather than diminish the only peace we may hope to have is an irrational peace an in spite of peace the peace of the depths beneath the storm-tossed surface in other words the peace of god which passes all understanding philippians four seven to suggest how this may be achieved in some areas of life is the purpose of this book finally mr wise the member of the group whose remarks were always being interrupted by the others represents a christian point of view which in the church generally is listened to no more than it was here what he was trying to say will be explored more fully as an answer to some of the questions raised in this chapter end of part two recording by bill mosley lano county texas usa